All right, Romans chapter number 7 in your Bibles this morning. Romans chapter number 7. We're going to be dealing with verses 18 through 25. Uh, Many of these weeks I've been spending a a great deal of time in a a sort of a review. Um, I'm not going to necessarily do that this morning as I've been doing, but of course we have uh, certainly been looking at these scriptures and these texts uh, in a very in-depth fashion. But we read through Psalm 51 with the intention of tying that together with the things that Paul is going to reveal to us in Romans chapter number 7. Of course, we know Psalm 51 was a, a confession of David. David was acknowledging his sin before the Lord, and he is asking God to create in him a new heart and to restore unto him the joy of his salvation. Of course, David wasn't talking about that he had lost his salvation or he had somehow lost Uh, something like that. He was simply saying that there was a connection between his joy and sin that was allowed to reign. And if I was to tell you this morning that uh, sin always will rob you of your joy, that would be a true statement. Sin will always rob us of our joy. The Apostle Paul, as he's been writing here in this chapter, we've seen this struggle. We've seen this battle between the man who wanted to do right, but his sin nature continued to lead him astray, continued to uh, cause him to stumble. And there's this battle going on. And I want to point your, draw your attention to a statement that he makes in verse 24. We're going to deal with verses 18 through 25, but I want you to look at the statement Paul makes in verse 24. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? from the body of this death. I don't normally do this, and this won't embarrass him too much, but Mark came up right before the service and he said, Pastor, he said, I think Paul must have said this with some emphasis. It's got an exclamation point after it. I said, you're absolutely right. He is saying this in a manner that is with emphasis. It is something that Paul is stating so emphatically, but it's also a sign of his displeasure. In other words, he's not saying it, oh, wretched man that I am, what great news I have today. He's saying it in a way that he despises who he sometimes is. Now, again, this is not a self-esteem message, right? This is not about, you know, just uh, go in the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you're a good person. It's not anything like that. This is the reality of Paul's life. And it's the reality, it's the battle we've been watching in Romans 7 where Paul continues to say, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I'm doing. And there's this continual battle that's going on and raging in him. But he makes two statements here. He says, first of all, wretched man that I am. But then he says this, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There is the conflict between grace and the corruption that still exists in our old nature. It's the conflict between grace and the corruption that still exists in our old nature. We might even further say it this way. It is the struggle between the law of God and the law of sin. It speaks of the struggles. We've come to this conclusion. At least I think this is a conclusion I think we've come to as a group. You may still be on the fence as to whether or not Paul was talking about a regenerated, saved man or an unregenerate man. I believe that Romans 7 is Paul's own personal testimony and that he is referring to himself even after he was saved. But it speaks of the struggle in a regenerated, sanctified believer that's still in a state of imperfection. 
When I look out upon you, I see imperfect people. And again, you say, preacher, that's arrogant. No, I'm imperfect as well. We're all imperfect. There's still, even though if you're a believer today, there's still an imperfection in all of us. There's still something that has got to be dealt with. And that's what Paul's been dealing with here. It's this struggle, and that's what I referred to as this, this great riddle. This man who wants to do what's right, but can't seem to do what's right. And when he wants to do right, he doesn't do right. In this statement in verse 24, Paul is showing just how deep this evil goes. There's nothing more self-deprecating than to say, oh, wretched man that I am. You go to a modern-day psychologist, they'll never tell you to acknowledge yourself as a wretched man, right? Uh, don't talk about yourself that way. And again, my point this morning is not to make us feel bad about ourselves, but it's to magnify the grace of God that even in our wretchedness, there's still this glorious grace that God is not holding us to the requirements of the law. Because Paul knows, he's already been proven to us that justification, we can't be saved by keeping the law. And we certainly can't be sanctified by keeping the law. So what hope do we have? So although this statement, a wretched man that I am, seems to come without any sort of comfort, by the time we get to the end of this, you find out that Paul begins to turn the page here and says, I know what I really am. I know all of my shortcomings. I know all the things, the times I fail God. But praise God for his mercy and praise God for who he is. Because I know if I'm left to myself, the only thing I could call myself is a wretched man. That's all I'd have left. So Paul speaks as somebody, we've seen him use terminology like this, a man who was sold under sin, a man who continues to do sin even though he doesn't want to do it, and he fails to perform that which is good. Again, I would say some of the things Paul says, it's it would be almost impossible to apply this to an unregenerated, unsaved person because they're not concerned about their sin. They're not concerned about uh, dishonoring God. But Paul's words demonstrate this overwhelming desire to hate sin. <laughs> Seems simple enough. But not just to hate it, but to stop consenting to it, stop delighting in it, and instead delight and serve the law of God. This is difficult to apply, but nonetheless, it's the truth. So this morning, as we think about this conflict between grace and the corruption that's left in our heart. I came across this quote this morning. I shared it on, on our Facebook announcement for our schedule for today, but I, I thought this was appropriate. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, you will find indwelling sin frequently retarding you the most when you are most earnest. When you desire to be most alive to God, you will generally find sin most alive to repel you. In other words, the more we try to serve God, the more our old nature rises up and tries to fight against it. So the harder you try to live for God, the more you find that your sin starts fighting harder. And you all, if you've tried this, you know this struggle I'm talking about. The more I try to live right, why does the, the sin nature start fighting against me even more? That's the reality of the corruption of the old man that's still alive and well in us. We all can relate to Paul as believers today. If you're a believer, you know this struggle. This Romans 7 could be our testimony about the nature of sin, but I want to challenge us. Do we have the same? Uh, do we think the same? Because Paul hated the fact that he couldn't get victory over this completely. 
He looks forward when he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know what Paul was, he was looking forward to the day when he'd be delivered from this fight. When I don't have to fight it anymore, when I will be made perfect and I will have a glorified body and I won't have this old nature fighting against the new that's making me do the things I don't want to do and I will completely be in obedience to God. Yet we see here in these first 18, 19, 20, and 21, I want you to see Paul instructs us or teaches us where this depraved flesh dwells. This depraved flesh dwells in the old nature. He's been drawing this dividing line between the two. There's the old and then there's the new. Paul writes these words in verse 18. He said, for I know that in me, now he clarifies this, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul's writing about the old nature here. He says, in my flesh dwells nothing good. Now, Paul is, though he's the person, person that's sinning, of course, Paul is, is not disqualifying this or he's not excusing himself. He's just saying that I know in my old nature there is nothing that, that dwells in me that is good. He goes on and he says, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Keep it in the context. In his flesh... He cannot find anything, find anywhere how to perform that which is good. Paul is explaining the corrupt nature. He calls it the flesh. That's what we've been referring to it as the flesh. He says, in the flesh, you should expect nothing good because good does not dwell there. So if I'm going to go to the flesh looking for good, I'm not going to find it. In that old nature, I'm not going to find good. But as the new nature he'll tell us about, the new nature, it doesn't sin. The new nature does not sin. It is the old nature, the flesh, the old nature. The old nature, our flesh cannot perform something that is good because that's where depravity dwells. Now notice what he says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Now remember, the law of sin and the law of God. The flesh serves the law of sin. In other words, its desire is to obey sin. The new nature is to obey the law of God. The flesh is under the conduct or the government of the law of sin. The new nature is to be under the law of God. The corrupt nature, as called the flesh here, like we've been looking at, now, this isn't to say that a, a person, an unsaved person, can't do something that's good. I mean, because uh, that's, that's the immediate reaction. Wait a minute, you're telling me that a person who is unsaved, unregenerate, cannot do a good work and do a good act, or an act of mercy or an act of charity. Absolutely they can. Not that makes them acceptable with God, they can't. There are people who are unsaved who are more generous than believers, so to speak. They give more money. They, 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 they do things that are uh, philanthropic. They, they are the biggest givers. They have hearts of gold for people, it seems to be. But when it comes to, is that make them acceptable with God? The answer is no. Nothing in the flesh makes you and I acceptable to God. Our flesh is what's always going to guide us astray. Now again, to say that man doesn't do good things, that, that would be an out-and-out -out lie. We all see good things that even the unsaved man or woman does. 
but it doesn't remove the corrupt nature that's there. Even though there may be good things, there may be good actions, as far as the flesh goes, it is not capable of anything good that gains acceptance with God. That's the simplest way to put it. And then look what he says in verse 19. He says, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Very clearly, he says, the good that I would, in other words, I set out to do good, I don't do that. The evil which I would not do, what I don't want to do, that I do. There is the battle. He begins to describe that the nature of the flesh is so that causes him and leads him to do the things he doesn't want to do. Now, if Paul stopped here and verse 19 ended the chapter, we would say Paul makes excuses for himself, right? We would say, you know what? I can't help myself. The greatest excuse sinful man uses today is what? I couldn't help it. I can't help myself. This is not throwing it under the bus and saying, listen, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to end the chapter here. We'll move on to the next thing. No, he's just getting started. He's just now getting to the place where he says, these are the things that lead me to despise my old nature and despise sin even more. Because when he does the things he doesn't want to do, he finds not just great conviction, but he finds a despisement of it. He, he hates the fact that he keeps doing it. He's saying it's, it is no more that I do it. It's the sin that remains in my flesh. It's that which dwells in me. And then look what he says verse 20 as in a response to this. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, to make a little bit more sense of this, let's go back over to verse 17, because that statement ought to sound familiar to you, because it's the second time Paul has mentioned it. Verse 17, he said this, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So then verse 20, Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He repeats it. He says it twice here. He's mentioning it twice, not as an excuse, but rather as an explanation. Now, why is he saying it? So that we have a reason? No, because what he's getting ready to tell us is how he's going to find some sort of comfort knowing that he continues to fail in this battle. The reason he's saying this is not to make excuses, but rather to find a way so that he does not sink in despair from the weight or the reality of understanding, wow, every time I try to do what's right, my old flesh leads me to do what's wrong. And again, I told you, this isn't a self-esteem message. He's getting ready to say, I'm jumping ahead. Praise God for who He is because I don't have anything good to offer. I have nothing. I have, I have nothing that I can, I can say, but I can take comfort in the fact of realizing that God has made a covenant. God has a covenant of grace, which He has provided a pardon for the very thing in which keeps tripping me up. Folks, the day you became a saved-by-grace sinner did not mean you stopped sinning. That idea that says, listen, I thank, I thank God I got saved by grace and I'm no longer sin's not going to be a problem anymore. No, sin is probably, I, I, it's a big problem still. 
Now that doesn't make an excuse. It makes God's mercy and his grace of even more importance. Because after you've been redeemed, now you're aware of what you're doing. Now you're convicted. Now you despise sin. So now when sin and you commit it, you don't, you don't want to do that. You're not, you're not finding an excuse for it. You're finding comfort in the fact, wow, even though I still have this old nature. Folks, so let's be honest. I mean, God could have done this a lot of different ways, right? I mean, He could have saved you and taken your earthly life right then. You never would have had a battle. It just would have been over. You got saved. There's no reason for you to be here, so go on. You can come on up to glory with me. But that's not the way He primarily does it. Yeah, there are people that get saved and step out into eternity, but most of us were saved by the grace of God and we're left here to live a life. We're told to glorify God. At the same time we're told to glorify God, we have this spiritual battle going on. Our old nature keeps leading us to do things we don't want to do, yet God says, you're to glorify me. It's quite a, quite a conundrum, isn't it? So God, you want me to glorify you, but yet I got this old nature that continues to hinder me. I can't seem to do the things I want to do, and I, I don't do the things I should. Paul protests against this indwelling sin. In other words, you never see Paul say, okay, well, it's there. I can't help it, so I won't fight against it. Paul actually fights harder against it. If anything, what this shows us is that Paul says, I know it's there, but I'm not going to let it, I am not just going to accept its presence. I am going to protest against it. There's a big difference in simply just saying, well, something's there, I can't do anything about it, and actually saying, you know what? I'm going to do and I'm going to protest against it. Look what he says in verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. The one thing Paul is not doing here is Paul is not just expressing some sort of a an attempt at reforming himself. There is in his very heart, he wants to be holy. He wants to be righteous. He wants to stand in direct opposition to sin. If anything, he's, he's engaging in the battle more strongly now because he knows the power of his flesh. You know, I'm learning not just in the, in the spiritual realm, I think it's true for anything. You realize when things come easy, it doesn't require us to fight very hard. Like if you know you're going to overwhelm whatever the opponent is, you know there's no chance that opponent can stand up to us. Oh, all, all I have to do is show up and that opponent's just going to lay over and die. You begin to live that way. You begin to live as if this is no problem. I can go through this. I don't need, I don't need to, I don't need to be, be harsh against this. But when that opponent is as strong as this opponent is, it causes you to have to fight. And it causes you to have to stand up and protest and say, listen, I so desire holiness. I so desire to live for God. I can't just roll over and just expect my life to be on autopilot and get to the end of my life and think I'm going to have any effect on this sin nature. Because the truth of the matter is, is you should still be growing in holiness and growing more and more like Christ. This doesn't mean this is like an end all. 
where I just say, listen, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just going to lay over and just let it, whatever happens, going to happen. No, the truth that Paul is saying here is that this, this makes me despise it. Now, Paul has already consented to this, but look at verse 22. We see that verses 18 through 21 show us that depraved flesh dwells the old nature, but on the flip side, the delight in the law of God is from the new nature. So just as powerful as his hatred of the old nature or the depravity of the flesh, as powerful as it is, the delight in the law of God is from the new nature. Why does he love the law of God? Look what he says in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. If you were to meet Paul and speak with him face to face, he would tell you, I loved God's law, I desired holiness, I desired to live in obedience, but I hated my sin. He consents, I love the law of God. We established the fact that Paul said the problem's not with the law. The reason our sin is a problem is the law's not the fault. Our sin nature is the problem. But Paul, as he professes, I delight in the law of God. This is his new nature that's speaking. His old nature says, I love sin. His new nature says, I love God. Why do you and I delight in any of God's laws today? It's simply because of the new nature within us. We delight in the things of God because of that new nature, that new man that's there. He says in verse 23, but I see another law in my members. Now, if you think this isn't, you think this is just a light conflict, he uses the word warring. Now, I realize today that word has become cliched. You guys, you all know I'm a sports fanatic, but when teams say we're going to war today, they have no idea what they're talking about. That's not war. I know what their intent is. I, I, I know it's a struggle, it's a battle. But a war in it of itself, this, this is more than just a light conflict. Paul said, this is not just something, and I'm not trying to be cute about it, this isn't just something that just kind of nags at me a little bit. What happens in an actual war? You let, you let your guard down for a single second, and that enemy can overrun you. You rely on a past victory and that enemy can overrun you. He said, there is this war going on against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Another law. Sin is active. Sin is aggressive. It is, a, it is so aggressive that you will never fully escape it. In other words, the day you wake up and you say this, I conquered that sin is the day it's going to get you. You know, don't, now someone's asked me this. Do you believe you can get victory over particular sins? I think you can get victory to where you no longer commit it. But I'm going to tell you, that war never ends. You know, you'll find yourself with a sin that once outwardly ruled you. You'll find yourself sometimes thinking about it again. You'll find yourself actually, maybe, maybe even reminiscing about when that was a part of your life. 
And again, boy, how horrible do you feel then? What, what in the world? Why am I thinking this today? Why am I thinking about something that was so awful and so against God? I got victory over it outwardly. Why does it still seem appealing to me? Now, maybe that didn't happen with you. That's just me. But the truth, that's it. That's exactly it. Yes, I got victory. I don't do it outwardly anymore. But I'm going to tell you something. That mind and that conscience and that memory, it doesn't leave you. You know, and it's the thing that the devil himself and his demons like to bring up. Well, you remember when you did this? I mean, what kind of a person does that? One who needs the grace of God and praise God He delivered me from that. See, He tries to accuse you of what you were guilty of, but now you're under the blood of Christ. That, that cannot be removed. But the struggle is still there. You know, oftentimes people will ask me questions about, you know, preacher, what, what's going on? Why am I still gay? Why is this still a problem? It's the law. It's the war of the law of sin versus the law of God. Now, if someone says, hey, I got victory over that years ago, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, be thrilled for them, but I'm also going to tell them, hey, be on guard. It never, ever fully leaves you. I'm amazed. I'm amazed at the human mind. I'm amazed that, of course, God created, but aren't you sometimes amazed how things that you thought you had long put in the past and long thought were gone, you thought would never think on those things, that at the most inopportune time, you start thinking on it again? And you think, how in the world, how in the world could I go from where I am now to thinking on something then? This is that law, this is that law of sin versus the law of God. So Paul says he delights in the word of God. He grieves over his sin. He speaks about the inward man. It's, it's, his, it's his deepest motivation. But he knows he will never on his own fully escape. And then it brings us to where he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The saved but imperfect believer cries out in, in misery still. I've heard people say, why would a saved man call himself a wretched man? Because a saved man without the grace of God is still a wretched man. You know, I know we get into this mentality that says, listen, once I get, once I get saved, all of, this, all of this depravity and all this wretchedness, and it's all going to go away. I think you become, I think biblically, I think you see this, and I think we know it practically. I think once you've been saved for a while, you start becoming more and more aware of just how wretched and unworthy you are. It doesn't go the other way. If your Christian life is going, why? I feel more worthy than I did yesterday. There's, that's going on the wrong trajectory. The gospel of grace humbles you. It doesn't elevate you. If anything, it makes you continue to question why in the world would God have even given a look in my direction? Because Paul says, this wretched man that I am, he compares this, this wretchedness, he compares it to death. That corrupt nature, that corrupt sin nature, it controlled him. It had set up a throne in his heart. 
There was the wars against the laws of his mind, the wars of the flesh. He simply tells us, with the flesh I serve the law of sin. With the new nature I serve the law of God. But there is a continual war going on. And then two final two verses, 24 and 25, we see the deliverance from the depraved flesh that Paul desired. What did Paul ultimately desire? He's asking for deliverance from the depraved flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul is asking as one who has at a loss for help. In other words, someone, I need to be delivered The thing he complains of is the body of the flesh or this old nature, the body of sin, the old man, his corrupt nature. It leads him to think about death because that very thing is the ruin of the soul. It was, was, one commentator compared it this way, it was as if Paul was complaining as if he was carrying around a dead body on his back physically. In other words, I can't shake this dead person that's hanging on me. It's quite a morbid thought, isn't it? But I think it illustrates it that way. That's the way that that old nature is. It's like carrying around an old dead body and you just can't shake it. Paul is crying out. That's what this, oh, wretched man that I am, this is a cry for help. This is the same man who we see in Philippians had learned to be content, right? Right? in whatever state I am. And yet here you have this man saying, what a wretched man I am. We think about Bible heroes. For me, personally, Paul's way up there. When I think of the Bible characters, boy, this guy, Paul's calling himself a wretched man. And so was David. And so was Abraham. So was Noah. So was all the apostles. So is all of us. We, have, we share a common thing. We may all be believers, but we also are all wretched men. And today, we are all still carrying around, as if we're carrying around a dead body on our backs, this body of death, this flesh. This, this sin nature is just, it's, it's, it's like death on us. Paul's trying to find comfort in this. He's trying to find, what do I do in these situations? By his own words, he is this corrupt, wretched man because he can't do the things or wasn't doing the things he wanted to do. He was not who he wanted to be. Who shall deliver me? A deliverance often is used in a a sickness. If you've got something physically wrong with you, why do you go to a doctor? You go to a doctor because you want deliverance from the pain. You want deliverance from the symptoms. Sometimes deliverance is, again, I'm not trying to be crude. We, we, we think deliverance is the medication, for example. That's not often full deliverance because it's still there. You take away the medication, the problem is still there. It's still alive and well. True deliverance in its perfect, perfect sense, is to be cured of it. Now, how many people do you think who have an ailment today, you pick, up, you pick your own ailment, because I think everybody here probably has not except maybe the youngest ones, maybe they don't have an ailment. Do you guys have any ailments? No, not right now. Boy, what a joy, what a joy, what a joy that would be, right? But you, whatever ailment you have, 
If there was a guarantee that the doctor you go to tomorrow is not going to medicate it, he's going to take it away and heal it. We're all on the phone, first thing, saying, I want that doctor. Even me who doesn't go to the doctor, I'm going to the doctor, right? Because I got full, not, not, not medicating it, healing it, delivering it so that it's no longer there. Paul's looking for a deliverance from that dead body off of his back. I don't just want it you know, numbed. I want it gone. I want to be delivered from it. That's what Paul is getting ready to say because he realized, he asked a question, who shall deliver me? Notice it's not a what, it's a who. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, this is another thing I said to Mark earlier. It's unfortunate because there's a chapter break between what he says in verse 25 of chapter 7 and chapter 8. Paul didn't take a break and go to sleep and take a nap and drop his, drop his writing utensil. It's a continuing thought. So that Romans 8.1 is a continuation of what he's getting ready to say in verse 25 and all of, of chapter number 7. He's going to announce the blessedness of this deliverance and he's going to remind himself by the, through the power of the Holy Spirit that deliverance is coming. He says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's the who. He asked the question, who shall deliver me? Here's the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? Nobody told him that. He answered his own question. I heard on a report, I heard a report the other day that the most intelligent people answer their own questions. It's just a sidelight there. Do you answer your own questions? I answer them all the time. I'll drive in a car and I'll answer my own question. I'll, talk, I'll have a whole conversation with myself and it's not, it's not even in my head. It's verbal. I actually talk out loud and I answer my own questions. I thought there was something wrong with me, but according to the study, I'm smarter than most people. <laughs> I immediately said their study must be desperately wrong. But that's what he's doing. He's answering his own question. He's, he's comforting himself in the reality. I'm not going to deliver myself from the body of this flesh. I'm not going to be able to do it. But I do thank God through Christ our Lord. So then he makes this, he makes this statement. So then, with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul's answer he comforts himself with. His great comfort was in Christ. In the midst of this complaining about his flesh and his sin nature, he finds a friend. He finds that friend in Christ. Folks, when we're under the sense of that corruption and that sin and that power, there's still a reason to bless God in it all. Even when we find ourselves not doing as we ought, he still ought to be the praise that ought to be on our lips. We still ought to be able to say he is our mediator and in one day he is going to deliver us fully. But praise God, he's delivered me from the payment and the wages and the wrath of what that sin should bring me. I should be on my way to hell today. I should have no hope. I should have nothing to praise and bless God about today. But because of this amazing gift of salvation, 
I have a reason to praise even when I've got this dead old body tied to my back. Now, it's not an excuse to go on sinning. Remember, we go all the way back. We studied this. And if we ever come to the conclusion that grace means a license to sin, you've missed the whole point. I believe the longer we live, and Paul would, would say this, the longer we live, the heavier that body gets. The heavier that dead body on us, the heavier the flesh gets, the greater that burden gets, the more we despise it, the more we hate it. And yet he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord that there is blessing in him. Christ is our, not only our mediator, he is our advocate with the Father. It's through Christ that God has spared us. It's through Christ that God pardons us. It's through Christ that God has not laid our sin to our account. Christ has purchased deliverance. Christ has already paid for it, and in due time, we will put away this body of flesh. We will put away this old nature, and it will never be heard from again. <laughs> imagine, imagine a family with no sin in the house. We can't even fathom it. We, we cannot comprehend that, humanly speaking, but yet we've been delivered through the death, the burial, the resurrection, Christ will one day put an end to all the complaints of sin and one day we will be carried into eternity where we'll spend forevermore without any more sin. We have victory over our sin today because of Christ. So when you say that one particular sin that you have that still, that you don't outwardly do anymore, but it's still here, You've got victory, but not because of your commitment to say, I'm not going to do it again. You have victory because Christ has paid for it. That ought to make even more want to put that sin off. Look, I'm not going back there. I don't want to go back to what I used to be. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want that sin to creep up back in my life and allow it to enter in again. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. This principle that Paul had was the law of God. He speaks of having that's, that's found. He, he's, he's, he's giving his approval. I, I desire to serve the law of God. That's where my judgment is. That's what I, that's what I want to do. He's saying the law of God, it, it's, it's good for me. The law of God, what God's laws are, that's what's been written in my heart. That's what I want to do. I want to consent to it. But notice what he says. With the mind I myself serve the law of God. That word serve is important. It's not just enough to have an assent to this today to say, listen, okay, I agree. The law's good. There's no error in it. And say, we all agree. Serving it is a desire to live in obedience to it. Now we've learned, can I do it perfectly? Absolutely. Absolutely not. I can say I'm going to, but I won't. But my desire ought to be, because the law is good, because the law is right, because the law is holy and just, I'm going to do everything I can to serve the law of God. But then he doesn't just scratch it out. He says, but with the flesh of the law of sin. You know what he's telling us? Even with all the desire and the delight in the law of God, I'm still, until that day of deliverance, I'm still going to have that old law of sin that's there. That's what's going to make Paul break out into one of the greatest statements that he makes in all of Romans 8 
when he said, there is therefore now no condemnation. Even with this body of death I'm carrying around, there's now no more condemnation. And he says, now. I'm not condemned now. With Paul's mind and with every other regenerated, sanctified, saved individual, this is the ordinary way of the new man. The new man desires to live in accordance with the law of God. All of us today who know Christ as our Savior should be able to say what Paul says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. We all ought to be able to say it. Because all of us who've been redeemed know that if it wasn't for God, we would have no way of redemption. Paul is a willing, glad slave to righteousness. I want to do whatever God's law requires. Paul speaks plainly. You can tell now when the people who have said Paul was talking hypothetically about another person, there's too many eyes in this chapter. Paul was referring to himself. And he wasn't referring to himself before he got saved, which, by the way, I think that's key to understanding the rest of the book of Romans. Because even if Paul was talking about before he was saved in Romans 7, that's going to change the outlook on a lot of other things. I think Paul's been talking all of Romans 7. These are the things I struggle with after I was already regenerated and already saved. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Nothing good dwells in my flesh. I can will to perform it. I can will it to be perfect. I can say this morning or this afternoon, I'm, I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf. I am going to do good always. You cannot perform that. But you know what? I have the intention and I have the desire to want to live that way. If we're in Christ, folks, this war is not over, but victory is already secure and it's sure. You know, sometimes you've got to go through a lot of battles and you've got, to, you've got to struggle hard before the victory actually is accomplished. Paul said this, this warfare that's going on, always keep this in mind. Your redemption has been purchased. Your sanctification is certain and your glorification is sure. One day, all things are going to be able to be made right. But don't, do not underestimate the struggle that you're having so many people have used struggles like this to doubt their own salvation. Don't allow that to be the source because if you're using that as the doubt of your salvation, you're basing your salvation on something faulty already. Your salvation is through Christ and through Christ alone. Now, if you come and tell me, listen, I, I'm saved, but I don't want to live for God. I don't want to do anything to court. I don't want to obey. Then you, you're not saved. And so that's, that's a harsh statement. You're not going to be able to be void of any delight in the Word of God if you've received the new nature. You're going to delight in the things of God. Again, not perfect by my standards or other man's standards or woman's standards. It's by God's standards. Believers are often found deeply frustrated over their inability to conform to God. But be encouraged, folks. Understand something. The battle isn't over, but the victory is won. Matter of fact, it's a pretty healthy sign if you're frustrated over your sin. That's actually a good sign. When you get worried is when sin doesn't frustrate you. 
And when you ought to be concerned is when sin doesn't bother you anymore. Frustrated over the fact I cannot do what I want to do, just like Paul said. But don't lose sight. I think this is one of the greatest sources of discouragement, is this battle that's going on. The battle between the new and the old. But also don't let this be a way of creating some kind of hypocrisy to where we begin, hey, everything's right with me outwardly, but inwardly I'm struggling with sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Let's stand.